Welcome, this is Raul Lowry Contreras, and this is the Contreras Report, and Hispanic View of the USA, issue 107. Yeah, this is number seven, and I'm very happy to be here, and we have so much to talk about. I can't tell you how many things happened that I don't comment on. But this time, I'm going to comment on some on a Supreme Court decision that slams the Trump administration on, uh, on uh, immigration, demonstrations all over the world, the Atlanta shooting of a young man, which I'll discuss in great detail because I've seen all the videotapes. Is there a racial effect on, but caused by COVID-19? Yes. Race relations, how are they in the United States now? Are people thinking it's important to be concerned about race relations? Yes. California, and this is going to apply around the country. If, if Governor Gavin Newsom gets away with this change that he's ordered by executive order, other governors will do the same thing, and the country's small business community will be screwed. Governor Newsom has issued an executive order on workmen's comp, or what we used to call workmen's comp. It's called workers' comp now. In that, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, he has decreed that all claims by all employees that their illness or, or uh, being off of work because of, of COVID-19 is doesn't have to be work related. They can catch it in church and still claim workers comp for it. That is medical attention and cash and pay. And I'm going to take that head on because I've been a small businessman. I didn't even know what workers comp was when I started my business way back in the 1970s. But I have a relative who has a small business now and he is getting ready to watch his insurance policy, workers comp insurance, the premium increased by a third, all because the governor thinks that everybody that comes down with COVID should be covered by workers' comp if they have a job, even if the COVID-19 is not job-related. That leads us to the economy, what the Federal Reserve is saying about the economy and the car industry as an example of the huge drop that we're anticipating for the rest of the year. Let's go international. North Korea has kissing off President Trump and Americans. We'll talk about that. But some people are still so in love with Donald Trump that no matter what he does, they support him. And I'm talking specifically of Hugh Hewitt, a Harvard graduate, University of Michigan Law School graduate, radio talk show commentator, who's generally pretty reasonable, but on this case on Trump, he is totally off base. The President of the United States is renewing his campaign for re-election with a huge rally on June 20th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What a rotten place to have a rally. I'll explain why. The United States Army, as usual, is catching up to the United States Marine Corps, which pioneered, which led the way on disabusing the Confederate flag and symbols of the Confederacy by banning them from Marine bases way back in February. And now the Army is going along, and I'll tell you what's going on in Korea about that by a general named Abrams. I wonder, for one thing, if he's related to General Abrams, the great tank commander that came out of World War II. Speaking of Army generals, Michael Flynn is still in the news. 
we'll get back to him in a minute. And then we're going to talk about a massive poll done by Pew Research about immigrants taking American jobs. Yes, they do. But we'll explain it in detail because how they take them and why they take them are good for the United States of America. So first, let's talk about the Supreme Court. SCOTUS, S-C-O-T-U-S, it's the acronym. It slapped the Trump administration backwards, forwards, and upside down by refusing to take an appeal of the Trump administration of a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision that upheld California sanctuary law. California sanctuary law was passed. It prohibits county sheriffs or jailers from cooperating with immigration. In other words, when someone's uh, term in county jail, either and they're out because of bond or because their sentence has been served of, 90, of uh, 364 days or less, uh, they're there to be let go. And uh, the sheriff is under no obligation to let immigration know that inmate X is being released for whatever reason. Immigration's position is that they believe that the California sheriffs and jailers are obligated because if they send a memorandum to that sheriff that they want to take control of, of inmate X uh, before he's released on the street, well, the courts have said no. The state legislature said no. And now the Supreme Court basically is saying no because they didn't take the appeal. That's over. The Trump administration can't appeal to anybody else. Solicitor General Trump appointee Noel Francisco, he asked the Supreme Court to intervene and to override California sanctuary law. Because, he said, California's, quote, position seriously misunderstands both federal immigration law and the 10th Amendment, unquote. In other words, Californians are stupid and they can't read. Well, the California Attorney General, Javier Becerra, says, quote, the Trump administration does not have the authority to commandeer state resources, and that's what the courts have said. They've agreed with that. This leads to an interesting situation coming up in the next couple of weeks. Before this very same Supreme Court is the question of DACA, DACA, those kids who were brought to the United States illegally when they were minor children, that Barack Obama deferred deportation of and allowed to get work permits if they qualified uh, to work legally in the United States or to go to college or whatever. One of the first things that President Trump did was he issued an uh, executive order doing away with the DACA program, deferred action, blah, blah, blah. And he said, we're doing away with it. So, Will today's decision, upholding the Ninth Circuit, stand for the DACA situation, the DACA kids, about 700,000 of them? We don't know, but I'd be willing to bet that by a five to four decision, or maybe even six to three, that they will uphold DACA. And Mr. Trump, and what they'll probably do my guess is that they'll announce that uh, uh, it's to remain in effect until Congress 
solves the problem because only Congress, the Constitution says only Congress can regulate immigration. Article 2, Section 8 of the Constitution of the United States, very clear, or is it Article 1, Section 8, anyway. And we'll see what happens. I think that's what's going to happen. Okay, speaking of the courts, this is not in court yet because Governor Newsom of California issued an executive order that workers' compensation was to cover, that is to say, medical expenses, back pay, whatever. Anyone that came down with COVID-19 and had their job affected by it shall be covered by workers' compensation insurance, all their medical bills, back pay, etc. Is that understood? Do you understand what I just said? Let me add the key words to it. And it doesn't matter if the COVID-19 is caused by the job. In other words, it's not job-related. Governor Newsom wants all expenses and back pay paid for by workers' comp. What's going to happen is that small businesses, in particular small businesses, that have a heavy lift on workers' comp now are going to have their premiums increased by, nobody knows for sure, but I know one small businessman who tells me he thinks it'll go up, his premium will go up by a third. And where's that money going to come from? Now, if you're not in business, you don't understand workers' comp. I'm sure, you know, even if you're a worker. When I first started my first business back in the 1970s, I had no idea. I mean, I was a political science student, a history student. I had no idea what workers' comp was. I didn't study business formations in California, so I had no idea. I was surprised. Now, I was exempt because my insurance agent said, you're an executive, so you're exempt. But your one single part-time employee has got to be covered. And it was my 16-year-old brother. Now, three years after that, uh, I had 20 employees. And my workers' comp premium, insurance premium, was substantial. Let me tell you something. It was a bunch of money. But, you know, I did my best. And uh, we, we worked hard, everybody. I worked side by side with my employees. And I even paid for half their health insurance for, for them and their families. Because I felt that was the right thing to do. I feel workers' compensation insurance is the right thing to do. The only thing is, the difference between me and Governor Gavin Newsom is that I believe workers' comp should only cover job-related illness, death, or problems job related. That's the key. He's saying, no, it doesn't matter. If they work for you, they're entitled to workers' comp, even if they came down with COVID-19 on a yacht fishing or on a boat fishing with friends or in church. It doesn't matter. So, Governor Newsom, if you continue on this path or and or if the legislature joins you remember it's a one-party legislature totally dominated veto proof by uh by uh democrats if they join you we'll see you in court because even though i'm not an employer now i would join in in such a uh, case i would personally join because that's just isn't fair job related sure absolutely but on not job related I'm sorry, no way. 
Okay, let's go to the shooting in Atlanta. For one thing, I have seen all the videotape, and I've come to a conclusion. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not a criminal, so I, criminals probably know more about the law than, than many lawyers do. But here's what I saw. I saw a young man. Now, the videotape that I saw was two parts to it. Number one was the body cam of the police officers interviewing him, talking to him, fighting with him shooting him, and the video taken by cameras at the Wendy's uh, fast food place where the incident took place. The victim's name is Rayshard Brooks. He was 26 years old. Two policemen were involved. One I shall not name because he was the first one on the scene, but he didn't do the shooting. The second one has been fired. His name was Garrett Rolf. He was a vet, veteran uh, police officer. And he was fired the following day by the Atlanta Police Department because he broke police policy. As far as breaking the law, that's up to the district attorney and the grand jury. We'll discuss that in a minute. Here's what I saw on the body cam. This is from the body cam of the police officer. The police department received a call that there was a car and the drive through driveway of the Wendy's in which a man was asleep at the wheel and was blocking the traffic. So this guy shows up, uh, officer number one, and he bangs on, this is on his body cam. He bangs on the window. He gets, wakes up the guy. He has him park in a different place, gets out of the car, hands him his driver's license and starts talking. In the meantime, a, another police officer, Mr. Garrett Wolf shows up, R-O-L-F-E. And they body search him. They pat him down for weapons. They talk to him for over 30 minutes. He was very respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir. He wasn't violent. He wasn't narc, uh, 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 nasty. He, he wasn't disrespectful in any way. They gave him a field sobriety test, which was really unnecessary. If you're drunk, you're drunk and you get arrested for suspicion of intoxication in public or driving. He wasn't driving, except there on private property. Georgia law allows that. He was on private property, but he wasn't driving down the street. At one point, he even said, hey, come on, guys, let me go. I'll walk. I'll lock the car up, and I'll walk over to my sister's. First officer, officer number one, he's thinking about it when officer Garrett Rolfe grabs books by a wrist and pulls him around to handcuff him from behind. Brooks objected. They got into a brawl. Brooks kicked butt of two police officers, jumped up with a one of their tasers in hand. One of the guys tried to shoot him with a, a taser, tried to um, uh, use the taser. And if it hit, it didn't work. And so uh, Brooks jumps up. He's got the taser in his hand, a taser in his hand, and he takes off running. Well, the two cops get up and they take off running. Rolf is in front and the other officer who apparently is a little overweight, was behind him. Neither one of them had their guns pulled. Garrett Rolfe had a taser in his right hand. But after, oh, 20 feet or so, he takes the taser and puts it in his left hand, reaches down, takes his pistol out of his, of his uh, holster, and there's no, nothing on the videotape that yells, stop or I'll shoot or anything like that. And... Brooks, who's running and uh, uh, glancing back, sees that that uh, 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 
Officer Rolf has got his gun out and is aiming at him, and he fires off the taser in his in Rolf's general direction, and uh, Officer Rolf then fired and killed the man. Now here is what's going to convict him and send him to prison. Up to this point, you can argue he was running away, he'd committed a felony, he fought with police officers, blah, blah, blah. But everywhere in the United States, a cop cannot fire his pistol unless his life is in danger or a bystander's life is in danger. That is the rule every cop department uh, lives up to. Sheriff, city police, it doesn't matter. Someone's life, including yours, or yeah, has to be in danger. No one's life was in danger. The taser is not classified as a lethal weapon. It is the same rank as tear gas and chemical agents like pepper spray. It's not it. One out of a million might die of a heart attack, but no, no one's going to die from a taser shot. Besides, it wasn't aimed at him. It just aimed at his general direction. But here's what happened. With the men dying at their feet, what does Corporal or a cop Garrett Rolf say? This is on the, the, the uh, cop's um, camera. I got him. Quote, unquote. I got him. Mr. Rolf is going to prison, I believe. I may be wrong, but I think he's going to go to prison. There are people who support the police no matter what. Well, you can't support the police no matter what. You can't do it. The policeman has to live by the same rules that you and I do. We cannot pull a gun, even if somebody's committing a crime, an unarmed person especially, and shoot them dead. You and I would be guilty of murder, even if we were on the right side and trying to stop a crime. But if the man is armed with a pistol or a rifle or a shotgun, and he's pointing it at somebody, yes. But that wasn't the case here. Now, CNN did a poll, or commissioned a poll, in which they asked Americans if race relations were important. 42% of Americans called race relations extremely important to their vote for president this November. That makes the issue on par with the economy and health care. Now, those three issues, you'll notice immigration is not one of them. Those three issues, Trump would be on the short side of race relations and health care. Only on the economy would he draw better than Joe Biden. That puts him at a disadvantage, ladies and gentlemen. Now, he has been very anti the protest President Trump has, but 84% of Americans say the protests are justified and only 12% agree with President Trump. 65% of those polled think that President Trump's efforts on race relations are unhelpful to improve them. Only 26% think that President Trump is helpful on race relations. But here is the key. And this, if I were President Trump, I'd be shaking in my boots. The poll shows that only 38% of Americans approve of his presidency. 57% are opposed. Those are the same numbers that Jimmy Carter took into the 1980 election and lost.
does COVID-19 have an effect based on race on people? Because of the lockdown, you have to ask the question, how does it, the lockdown slash COVID-19, affect our society? At least in California. The survey was reported in the Los Angeles Times. 16.8% of black Amer- of the black American labor force is out of work, up from April's 167 There are 2.6 million blacks in the state of California, 6.5% of the California population. 17.6% of black Californians live in poverty versus 12.5% of whites that live in poverty. 16.4% of Asian Pacific Islanders live in poverty. Part of that has to do with a lot of them are foreign-born and are immigrants, recent immigrants. And, of course, here is where the, the blacks are really behind. I mean, they are really behind uh, the Hispanics because Hispanics suffer 23.6% of poverty, are in poverty. That, again, is because of immigration, and most of these people that have immigrated in the past 20 years are not well-educated, speak English, or are here legally. That's the truth. No intelligent person denies that. But blacks died at twice the rate of whites from COVID-19. 26 blacks per 100,000 died of COVID-19. 22 per 100 Latinos, well, 100,000 Latinos died of COVID-19. Asians, 16 per 100,000 Asians died of COVID-19. Blacks, I'm sorry, whites, remember, blacks, blacks were 26%, or 26 per 100,000. Whites, 13 per 100,000 died of COVID-19. Now, when asked if they were having trouble paying rent or a mortgage, 44% of Latinos told the LA Times they were having trouble. 33% of blacks said they were having trouble. Whites, only 15% said they were having trouble paying rent or mortgage. Just under 25% of whites lost their jobs. Almost 50% of Latinos lost jobs, 35% of blacks lost jobs. Which leads us to the Federal Reserve of the United States, an independent organization. It expects the economy, the U.S. economy, to shrink 6.5% before the year is over. And it expects the economy to grow 5% in 2021. In other words, a percentage and a half less than what it was in January of this year, which means that we cannot expect full recovery in 2021, at least maybe in 2022. That leads us to the car industry. The car industry is saying, their people are saying, that there will not be total recovery until 2025. Because, among other things, there's a multi-year profit desert. Why? Because of investment upfront for new technology, electric cars and hybrid cars and uh, 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 non-drive, no driver cars, tons and billions of dollars have been invested in those technologies, and they're not returning uh, revenue return. They're they're not. Uh, there's no revenue return during this lockdown. 
Production stopped for two months, but parts ordered before the lockdown were delivered during the lockdown and had to be paid for. Revenues plunged due to the lockdown because people weren't buying cars. They weren't going out, remember? As cars were not an essential industry. Credit ratings for Ford, Fiat, Chrysler, and Renault dropped. Global sales will fall a total, uh, according to predictions, a total of 22% this year and probably won't reach 2017 sales records until 2025. North American plants are working, yes, but only at 50% capacity. Retail outlets are running short of inventory. In other words, if you want to buy a car right now, you're going to have trouble finding one to buy the one you want because there just aren't, they, none of them were, were produced in the past two months or imported. North Korea, let's cross the, the Pacific Ocean to North Korea, the friendly, friendly North Korea. It's pulling away from whatever it had with the U.S. with President Trump. Quote, Never again will we, North Koreans, provide the U.S. chief executive with another package to be used for achievements without receiving any returns. Who made that statement? The foreign minister of North Korea, Mr. Ri Son Juan. Juan. Regardless of that, a lot of people in foreign relations that are concerned about foreign relations uh, have a very dim view of what President Trump has been doing in recent years since he became president. One who hasn't, one observer is named Hugh Hewitt, who I used to listen to his radio program all the time before it went on at three in the morning when it was on the afternoon. He got hired by NBC to appear regularly on uh, Meet the Press on Sunday and uh, to comment on regular NBC News broadcasts. He challenges retired General Colin Powell on the general's view that the former Secretary of State says President Trump, quote, has drifted away from the Constitution, unquote. He was speaking specifically of the Monday night unconstitutional violence done under his orders, I'm sure, at Lafayette Square when police and federal officers and National Guardsmen attacked a group of peaceful demonstrators and with batons and chemical agents and drove them out of Lafayette Square so the president could walk across and stand in front of a church and have his daughter pull a Bible out of her purse and hand it to him so he had a picture taken. He didn't say anything. He just had a picture taken. Now, rather than isolating General Powell's charge, Hewitt distracts from Trump to cast suspicions on Democrats for positions some have taken that Hewitt says are unconstitutional. He's not a judge. He's not the Supreme Court. He's a radio commentator, a radio talk show host with a law degree. He went to Harvard undergraduate, University of Michigan, a good law school, but he's not a constitutionalist. I've got to tell you that. Hewitt is so busy kissing Trump's big butt, he ignores the president denying subpoenas to administration officials issued by Congress. That's unconstitutional. He ignores a massive criminal attack on peaceful demonstrators in front of the White House on Lafayette Square that were attacked for political reasons so he could take a picture. He ignores 
law prescribed processes that mandate specific items the president is supposed to deliver to Congress when he fires an inspector general. The law says that the president, 30 days before he fires an inspector general, must deliver to Congress a letter explaining why the inspector general is being fired 30 days hence. First of all, he gave no notice. He just fired people, and never, he has never answered to Congress's request for these letters on the different inspector generals that Trump has illegally fired. Hewitt ignores the fact that the president clearly libeled a private citizen on his, uh, one of his tweets the other day. Trump says that this 75-year-old man who was knocked to the ground by two Buffalo police officers whose head, who suffered a concussion and serious damage that caused bleeding out of his ear, that that man is an Antifa activist and terrorist. I can't wait for the man uh, to, to sue. Now, Hewitt says it's unconstitutional for anyone including especially Democrats, that want to abolish the Electoral College. He calls that unconstitutional. No. You can abolish the Electoral College with a a constitutional amendment. How is it unconstitutional? There is a specific process in the Constitution telling people how to write an amendment. The amendment can be anything that relates to the Constitution. It's a political position. It's not an unconstitutional act. It would be unconstitutional if President Trump stood up and said, I declare it, uh, the Electoral College to be unconstitutional. From now on, we're going to do it this way. That would be unconstitutional. Now, there's another group that, that uh, uh, Hewitt says, says uh, stands on a, a position that's unconstitutional. There are people, I don't agree with them, that think it's unconstitutional for each state to have two senators, the same number of senators per state, regardless of population. In other words, why should California have two senators when Rhode Island only has three? Or Delaware only has three? Well, there are people that say that that's not right, but that's not unconstitutional. The number of senators is set by the Constitution. And how many senators there will be per state? It says two. So that's a political argument, but Hewitt says it's unconstitutional, and I say to that baloney. Hewitt says it's unconstitutional to advocate packing the Supreme Court. He implies it is because some people want to expand the court like they'd tried in the 1930s, so that, well, Franklin Donald Roosevelt wanted it, because the Supreme Court was ruling against all the New Deal. Eventually they came around, but he tried to expand the court to 15 justices, and then he would appoint six on top of the existing ones, and he would have a majority. But that didn't come off because nobody in Congress bought it, and the people didn't buy it. But he says, Hugh Hewitt says, it's unconstitutional to even think that. That's ridiculous. The Constitution says nothing about how many justices will serve on the Supreme Court. doesn't say a word. It doesn't even say they have to be lawyers. So Hewitt is wrong, and he's just blowing fake smoke. 
let me ask this of lawyer of lawyer Hewitt. How does he feel about President Trump loading the government with acting officials, appointing acting officials instead of regular Senate confirmed officials? It's unconstitutional, clearly. They can't even be appointed. Once they're appointed as an acting official, they can't be appointed to that job permanently. It's against the law. Hugh Hewitt, God, I used to like you a lot, but I can't like you anymore. You're too Trumpy. And it wouldn't be. It could be Joe Smith that's president. If you're sticking to him with these kind of arguments, you're totally off base. On Saturday, June 20th, President Trump is going to renew his campaign on the road with a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, that's interesting because Oklahoma is a true blue, true red Republican state, and there's no chance that he could possibly lose in the November election in Oklahoma. So why is he having a rally there? Well, he had it for two reasons. Number one, he picked it the 19th of June, and I, I am positive because I know how he works. He himself picked that date. He was given options. He picked that date because he wanted to embarrass the American black community. Oh, Juneteenth, that's June 19th, is the day that many blacks celebrate for emancipation because that was the date that the last Confederate general in the field with an army in Texas surrendered. And that is the day that many blacks and now many whites are celebrating as a holiday celebrating emancipation. In fact, Trump, when he was questioned on this in one of his interviews, said, oh, well, yes, it's a, we're celebrating June 19th. No, he wasn't. So he wanted the rally on June 19th. The rally is against all recommendations by all medical people. There isn't a single medical person that says that, that the rally should be held and without social distancing and without masks. Not a single one. But Trump is going ahead. But just in case he's having people who are going to be given tickets to this, who've applied for tickets, they have to sign a waiver that they will not sue Mr. Trump, the Trump campaign, or the government if they come down with COVID-19 by attending a rally with 19 other thousand people. A waiver. That's the same mentality that wants to make all victims of COVID-19 have their expenses paid by workers' compensation uh, with the government backing it up with force. Now, Trump gave another speech at West Point the other day, and this was interesting because the following day he turned 74. I'm five years older. And when he walked down the ramp after giving his speech, lousy speech, by the way, a 10-year-old could have done better, shown more excitement. But on his walk down the ramp next to the general, the lieutenant general who's the superintendent of West Point, no rail, and he walked very slowly down the ramp, watching his head down, watching where every step went. Now, I know that because I do that. Because 18 months ago, I tripped and fell and broke my right arm. And now I walk and I look down. I tell you, I'm not going to trip again. So, so his looking at his feet while he's walking down very slowly down the ramp 
indicates to me that maybe he's had a fall or two and he's very leery. Now, he tweeted, when someone had pointed this out in one of the newspaper articles, <clears throat> he tweeted the ramp was long, and it was. And that it was slippery, which it was not. It hadn't been any rain. It wasn't, it wasn't wet. He tweeted he ran down the final steps. I just saw the videotape a few minutes ago for about the 15th time. No, he didn't. He took a couple extra steps, or uh, a little faster than walking down the ramp. But he didn't run down the final steps. But then there's also video of him while he's giving his speech or getting ready to about lifting a glass of water off the podium to his lips with his right hand, except that when he gets it to his lips, he can't tip it to sip out of it with his right hand. So he brings his left hand up, puts it at the bottom of the glass and tips it up so he can get a sip of water. I'm not a doctor, and I don't even play one on television. But I got to tell you, if I did that, there would be something wrong with me. Happy 74th birthday, Mr. Trump. One of life's achievements that you can never achieve is catching up to me. I'm five years older than you. I will always be five years older than you, no matter what. Did you hear about the Republican congressman who a few weeks ago officiated at the wedding of two of his volunteer staffers. They were same sex. I don't know if there was two women or if it was two men marrying each other. But Congressman Denver Riggleman, their candidate for Congress, officiated at their wedding. The ultra-right conservative evangelical Virginia community exploded with their normal vituperative hate. Because he presided over a same-sex marriage. This guy was endorsed by President Trump for re-election, but it didn't matter to these nutcases. He lost the nomination to Mr. Bob Good, a former county supervisor, who calls himself a, quote, biblical conservative, unquote. Good is against any abortion, and I'm pretty much in agreement with that. But he supports trashing the Constitution of the United States, specifically the 14th Amendment, which states that any person born or naturalized in the United States is a U.S. citizen, period, 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 period. He's against that. He's against birthright citizenship. And he wants to make English the national language. He thinks that he is smarter than the people who founded the United States of America, who founded, who wrote the Constitution, and passed it in 1787. These are people where as many as half the people in the, in the colonies spoke German, some French, and many spoke Indian languages. In other words, over half of the people didn't speak English. Wasn't their language. But that didn't matter to the founders of the United States. They didn't make English the official language. So Mr. Good here thinks that he is smarter than the people who wrote the Constitution and who made us the United States of America. I don't think so. Now, there has been a movement in recent weeks of renaming U.S. Army bases that have been named for Confederate generals like General Lee, General Bragg, 
um, and, and several others. Um, they, they want to rename them to uh, give them good American patriot names. The United States says, or the president of the United States says, no. He says that under no circumstances will he allow the names to be changed. He says the bases have become part of U.S. history and that is, they shouldn't be tampered with, quote, unquote. He calls them part of a great American heritage, quote, unquote, that has a history of winning. But these Confederates didn't win, Mr. President. They slaughtered American citizens who wanted the United States to live and, and exist and to grow. These people were traitors. Robert E. Lee was a traitor. But the worst thing that happened to him was his land was taken away, which is now Arlington National Cemetery, and his citizenship was taken away. Uh, granted, a few years ago, Congress voted to restore it, but that was wrong, too. In fact, he should have been executed at the time, along with any Confederate soldier with the rank of colonel and above. They should have at least gone to prison for life, lost all their property, and executed if possible. Now, President Trump says no, but some generals aren't paying attention to him. In Korea, we have... After the German, uh, uh, after we've take, brought home 9,000 troops from Germany, Korea, South Korea, will have the largest number of American forces outside the United States. The commander of our forces in South Korea is General Robert Abrams. Now, I don't know if he's related to the famous World War II tank commander Abrams. I have no, and for whom the Abrams uh, tank was named. Uh, but uh, I hope he is, because uh, Gen the original War II Abrams was really a, a neat guy. I served in a tank battalion in the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, first tank battalion, which eventually was changed to the fourth tank battalion. Uh, the name was changed. So I have a special affinity for General Patton and his generals and all tankers since. General Abrams wrote, quote, The flag does not represent the values of the U.S. forces in Korea, unquote. Quote, while I acknowledge some might view it as a symbol of regional pride, many others in our force see it as a painful reminder of hate, comma, bigotry, comma, treason, and devaluation of humanity. Now, I'd like to point out that the Marines, the United States Marine Corps, did what he's doing in February. They were first to ban Confederate symbols from Marine bases. The Navy followed up just last month in May. So, Mr. President, the people want the bases renamed. Do it. Monmouth University is very good at polling. They're in New Jersey. And they have a whole polling department. And they do very well. In the first week of June, they ran a poll that they released, said that 60% of Americans say that blacks experience more excessive force by police than whites. Four years ago, only a third took that view. In other words, it's doubled. Racial discrimination is a problem, say, 66% of Americans versus 50% in 2015. Um, whites who believe blacks suffer more excessive force than whites 
have doubled in number. Those who believe, in other words, the share of whites who believe blacks suffer more excessive force than whites has doubled since 2015. Okay, the public is speaking. Michael Flynn, speaking of generals, everybody remember Lieutenant General Michael Flynn who pleaded guilty to lying to federal officers and was waiting for sentencing. And then he walked in, got new lawyers. He walked in one day and he said, I want to change my plea. And the judge took it under consideration. And uh, in the process, and then the Department of Justice came in and motioned or made a motion to drop the case altogether because they were no longer willing to prosecute the case for whatever their reasons. Former Judge John Gleason was appointed by Judge Emmett Sullivan, the judge of the actual trial. Gleason was appointed to look into the situation and to oppose or support the motion by the DOJ, Department of Justice, to dismiss the charges against General Flynn. Evidence Flynn committed perjury. The Judge Gleason says, yes, he did commit perjury, but he doesn't recommend prosecution. Now, he either committed perjury when he pleaded guilty, he lied to the federal court, or he's lying to the court now by saying that he wants to withdraw his plea and plead not guilty because he's not guilty. And now the DOJ comes along and says, we don't want to prosecute this at all. That's interesting. Judge Gleason recommends that Judge Sullivan go ahead and sentence him for the original plea, not to accept the Department of Justice motion to drop the case. What does Judge Gleason say about this whole thing? Well, he says that it's obvious the DOJ wants to dismiss charges only because Flynn is a Trump favorite. Quote, everything about this is irregular, unquote. Now, a little bit about immigration. As we know from earlier, immigration is no longer in the top three uh, concerns of the American people politically. Pew Research did a center. They asked people if how they felt about immigrants taking jobs of Americans and why. So they asked, Do immigrants take jobs Americans don't want? 77% of those polled think that undocumented immigrants fill jobs Americans don't want. 64% think the same of legal immigrants, that they take jobs Americans don't want. Hispanics, 88% say undocumented take work Americans turn down. 74% say the same about legal immigrants. U.S.-born immigrants say, 82% say that undocumented immigrants take jobs Americans don't want. 68% of U.S.-born Hispanics say that legal immigrants take jobs Americans don't want. Among foreign-born Hispanics, 94% say undocumented immigrants take jobs Americans don't want. 81% say Legal immigrants take uh, jobs Americans don't want. 71% of blacks say undocumented immigrants do. 75% of whites agree that undocumented aliens or uh, immigrants take jobs Americans don't want. 
62% of them both say that legal immigrants take jobs Americans don't want. There you go. But here is the key. 66% of Republicans believe undocumented immigrants take jobs Americans don't want. 54% say the same of legal immigrants. In other words, all this baloney that one hears coming from groups such as the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS, FAIR, the Federation of Americans for Immigration Reform, and Numbers USA, all three, all three anti-immigrant groups, anti-illegal immigrant groups that hate immigrants of all sorts, particularly they hate Mexicans. They say that these Immigrants, legal and illegal, take jobs away from Americans. And that's not true. Even 66% of Americans say that illegally present workers take jobs Americans don't want. I'll give you a concrete example. The University of Arizona did a study in Arizona during the construction boom of the construction industry. Because one of the things that that these three groups, for example, are all anti-immigrant groups uh, say publicly is that immigrants, illegal immigrants and legal immigrants take jobs away from Americans. And that is absolutely not true. And here is the proof. The University of Arizona, in studying the construction industry in Florida and uh, Arizona, discovered that. 77% of all the construction jobs at all levels in Arizona were held by legal workers, mostly American citizens, some green card holders. Legal. 23% were held by undocumented immigrants, mostly Mexican. But what they decided was to subtract out the illegal workers, and what did they find? They found that a house in Arizona would cost, would take 13 weeks more to finish, to build, and cost $50,000 more because there weren't enough Americans willing to work that the industry needed to work. Do you see these groups produce studies like that? No. What they do when they produce studies is they reach their conclusion ahead of time, then they build the stuff around to to prove their conclusion. They're not legitimate groups. They were founded with racist money from the Pioneer Fund, raised by Dr. John Tanton, a a Michigan uh, ophthalmologist who hated Mexicans, hated immigrants, and hates Catholics, and was 100% pro-abortion. You can believe those groups if you want, but they never, ever produce anything legitimate that's provable by peers, by scientists, by professionals. I want to thank you for being there again, and I want to thank you even more for waiting for the next episode. This is Raul Lowry Contreras. Thank you for being there. This is the Contreras Report. And Hispanic View of the USA, issue 107. Talk to you next time.